Blog Talk Radio. which is the sole project of the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association is dedicated to bringing you the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the United States today. The absolute best. We've worked long and hard on getting our shows down correct so that we can bring you an absolutely fantastic two-day rifle marksmanship course for the least uh, it's the least expensive course that you can find in the United States today. <clears throat> and over the past few years, we have really tweaked ourselves so that uh, the course is is a fantastic course for any level of shooter that wants to attend whether you're just grabbing your rifle uh, out of the box, first time ever shooting it, to bringing your uh, tweaked-out AR or M1A uh, to the event. Either way, you're going to uh, learn a great deal. Because what we've done is we uh, we didn't develop a whole brand new system of shooting. What we did is we went through all of the information on shooting. We went through all of the skills and techniques that are required for you to make the shot. And we distilled those down into very uh, uh, 
uh, into a slim, simplified version, into an easily teachable version. And then we've uh, run those out from end to end, starting with the uh, the first thing you have to do, which is to build a stable shooting position, all the way out to, uh, well, all the rest of the skills and techniques that you'll need to make the shot. And you can learn these on your own. You know, there's a lot of folks who are just natural shooters. Uh, there are a lot of folks who have been shooting for quite a few years and have been learning these, and a lot of folks whose fathers and grandfathers and cousins and brothers and stuff have taught them to shoot, and nothing against that. It's just that most places <coughs> don't have all the information uh, in a an easily presentable form and give it to you all in one weekend. You know, a lot of times you have to spend... Uh, 20, 25 years to uh, to gather all this information up. We're going to give it to you in one weekend. Now, I didn't say we're going to make you a, a high-power shooter or an expert shooter in one weekend, <clears throat> although many folks have started out at the zero level and have earned a rifleman's patch by the end of the two days. So it can be done. What I am going to tell you, though, is that you're going to walk away from here uh, with a solid foundation of the fundamentals of shooting. And then uh, you're going to get a few other things, too, thrown in as freebies. One, which uh, we don't talk about uh, a lot or as much as we should, and that is we're going to give you a rock-solid foundation in rifle safety. And this is very important, especially for the, the kids and really for uh, well, for anyone, anyone who handles a rifle needs to understand how to safely uh, and competently handle that rifle, uh, whether you're alone or you're on the line at the range uh, with a bunch of your buddies, etc. You need to know how to safely handle that rifle. And uh, and by the end of the second day, you're going to have uh, about 16 to 20 hours of rifle safety. And we're a very safety-conscious program. That's at the very top of our list. Our prime directive is safety. <clears throat> we'll give you the uh, safety rules, the uh, six criteria for a safe rifle, according to Appleseed. And then we'll have you go through this over and over and over again. So it becomes uh, almost second nature to you, so that you understand uh, about not sweeping other folks, about keeping your finger off the trigger, until your sights are on the target, about not loading your rifle until it's time to shoot, and also about the fact that uh, when you are with a group, uh, with any group of individuals who have rifles, that it is your duty to to be a safety officer, and that is to make sure that no one else is handling a rifle in an unsafe fashion. I mean, it's your duty, whether you're in an, at an apple seed or anywhere else. <clears throat> to make sure that, first of all, that you yourself are squared away and safe. And then once you've done that, you make sure that the guys to the left and right of you are safe and squared away. They're not, they're not performing any unsafe actions or handling their rifles in an unsafe manner. And you should be doing this for the rest of your life, right? I tell folks at Appleseeds that, uh, you know, if they see something, you see an unsafe act. We want you to call it out right then and there. 
um, you know, a lot of folks have the the inhibition against saying anything because they don't want to uh, they don't want to get a dirty look or uh, or be called a uh, you know a, a snitch or something like that. But I'm telling you, I'll take all the dirty looks in the world as long as I don't have to take a hit on my conscience, which is knowing that I could have said something that prevented somebody else from being injured, and I didn't. So we're going to give you all of the safety uh, information as a freebie thrown in there. Then we're going to talk to you about the history of this nation. And we're going to begin on April 19th, 1775, which is the day the nation was founded, uh, the day that uh, we got our we got our start. And this is going to come to you in a series of stories. And these stories are not going to be dry recitations of history. These are stories that we're very proud of, that, that we're very invested in. They're going to come to you as impassioned uh, stories, the same kind of stories that you might here around the campfire with your grandfather. These are going to be some great stories. They're going to fill you with the uh, the knowledge of the folks involved in April 19, 1775, who they were, uh, what they did, why they did it. So that's going to be an additional freebie thrown in, and then a T-shirt to commemorate the event, all right? So this is going to be a lot of great reasons here for you to attend an event. So now that I've talked you into it, I'm sure that you're wondering where can you go, where can you, where can you find one of these events? Well, what you can do is go to rwva.org. That's our homepage. On the homepage, there's a, uh, a row of tabs across the top. Look at the second one from the left. It says Appleseed. Put your cursor on that uh, Appleseed tab, and you'll get a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, select Schedule. <clears throat> That'll take you to the uh, the uh, should be like a map of the United States, and you can just put your cursor on the state where you would like to attend an event, and then that'll give you a listing of the events in that state. <clears throat> no matter where you are. In the United States, there is an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship two-day weekend within reasonable driving distance of you every weekend of the year, all right? And uh, that's how you can find it. As you go to the, uh, the listing of events that I just gave you, you find the event that you would like to attend, and then just to the right of it are two other hotlinks. Well, the hotlink says uh, information. You can click on that information to get the the information for that specific event on that specific date. And it should tell you uh, where it's being held, uh, directions on how to get there, contact information for the, uh, the folks who are running the event. Uh, it might have hotels and things like that. And then the next hot link says register. So once you've found an event that you would like to attend, what we'd like you to do is go ahead and register, pre-register for it. And that does two things. One, it makes sure that you have a place on the line when that event rolls around. There is, uh, we have a good history of folks waiting until the last minute to go to an event 
and then the event is sold out. So don't wait. Don't be one of the folks that are standing there uh, with their rifle, and they have to trade the rifle in for a uh, for a pail of potatoes and a potato peeler. All right. Make sure that you pre-register for the event. That also helps us because it lets us know how many people are going to come to the event so we know how much gear to ship and how many instructors to schedule for the event. All right? So find yourself an event, uh, check out the info and stuff on it, and then pre-register for it. Make sure you've got a place on the line. Make sure that we know that you're coming, and, uh, and then you can start preparing for it. You can also look on the home page for the facts and how to prepare for an apple seed. <clears throat> and listen, uh, there's only a few things you have to do, really, a bottom baseline that you have to do to prepare for an apple seed. That's have a rifle, uh, hearing protection, eye protection, and uh, in ammunition, and then have a teachable attitude. That's the, the bare minimum that you need to have to come to an event. After that, everything else is uh, is just gravy and cushions. But the facts, uh, the fact list there will help you if you would like to uh, do any additional preparing for the event. Because when you come to an event, we're going to show you, we're going to take you through everything you need to know step by step. <clears throat> so even if you've never handled a rifle before, we're going to teach you all of the stuff that you need to know. And you guys that are familiar and they're shooting, uh, uh, that have been shooting for a while, don't worry about having to stand and listen to a bunch of basics. This isn't going to be the basics. This is the fundamentals. And we go through it, uh, we go through it at a good clip. You're not going to be... Uh, left uh, standing there yawning, all right? <clears throat> all right. Uh, tonight, uh, I've got a lot of information that we want to get out to you. And uh, looks like I'm still, uh, still waiting in line to get into the chat room. If any of you guys uh, have anything that in the chat room that you need to specifically get out to me, go ahead and post it in there. And the call screener can uh, uh, can relay it to me. <clears throat> and, of course, we'd love for you guys to call in at any point during the night. As a matter of fact, starting right now, you guys know how we start off the show. We started off with a big thank you to all of the folks uh, in our local crews and national crews, etc. A big thank you to the folks for all of the hard work that they have been doing. Now, I don't know all of the folks in your areas. Only you do. So this is the point of the show, 347-308-8790, where we give you a chance to call in and say thanks. <clears throat> and uh, I'd like to give a thanks tonight from the Texas crew uh, to Lauren and Andrew LeCren, Double uh, L and Star Fox, from the Dallas area. And all the rest of the folks, all of the rest of the Dallas crew in that area, uh, what they've done is they were managed to add another. We've got a range at uh, Quail Creek in the DFW area. It's right out by the uh, uh, Speedway. And the folks out there are great. And uh, we do events there. The events almost always sell out. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. The only problem that we had there was we were right at the end of the line, right next to a uh, handgun line. So you can imagine... Uh, sitting there trying to do the instruction, doing the six steps, or uh, telling about uh, the first strike or second strike or third strike of the match. 
while Dirty Harry and the rest of his buddies were busting off 44 magnums about uh, 40 yards from the from our shooting area. So it was a bit difficult, and uh, actually it was a little bit more than a bit difficult. It pretty much drove me insane every time I worked there. Nonetheless, we still did it, and we got a lot of shooters through the program there, uh, a lot of riflemen and riflewomen made, and uh, a lot of converts, a lot of instructors uh, coming out of that program. Well, because we were doing such a great job there, because the the range was very happy with what we were doing, and because uh, Lauren LeCren can just about talk anybody I know of into anything, uh, her and Andrew managed to talk uh, the range there into building a uh, specific range for Appleseed. So they built them a nice range. They would set off uh, all the way on the other side of the range. So we're nowhere, nowhere near any of the rest of the gun lines. And they have built a uh, shooting range for Appleseed there. And I believe, if if I am read it right, that uh, Lauren said it has the ability, I think, for about 54 or 55 shooters, which is which is great. The last range we were using, and I don't remember if it was, the, I think it was the police line at the end of the, uh, the shooting line. I believe it was only running at 22 or 23, and I know that we kept selling it out, uh, even scrunching people down and doing 25. So this is a great job done uh, by Andrew and Lauren and the Dallas-Fort Worth crew there, securing a uh, uh, a rifle range right there in between uh, the Twin Cities. And now I'm, I'm, I don't think that they'll have any trouble in selling out their 50-shooter uh, line because uh, they would uh, – They'd post a shoot. They would sell out uh, a month or so or two months in advance of the shoot, and people would be asking if they could get on a waiting list for it. So <clears throat> great job, uh, Andrew and Lauren. And then uh, I would like to say thanks again to uh, Larry Conrad, and uh, he is uh, reliable on the forum because Larry is always here at the villa. He's always uh comes early. He always helps me do the setup. Uh no matter what kind of work or job we have to do, Larry throws himself into it and uh, I depend on him greatly. And he always does a great job. Even if it's uh even if it's something ugly. There have been several times where he and I had to because the uh, Porta Can folks didn't show up, they you know had to uh, uh, to clean them and uh, empty them and get them ready. And he was right there with his gloves on, right beside me doing it. And uh, and he, he has helped out since the beginning. He shot his rifleman score in the middle of an absolutely monster heat wave. I believe we had somebody that actually had a wet bulb, and I, as far as I remember, it was running up in the 130s, and he refused to come off the line until he'd shot his rifleman score. And once he did, I, I pulled him off the line. But he had tremendous dedication. He brings his grandsons, 
but his uh, his oldest grandson uh, to event after event after event until his grandson had shot to rifleman standards. This was back when he was uh, 13, and then <clears throat> kept bringing him back and shooting until he uh, and we gave him a uh, an orange hat. Kept bringing him back and shooting until he turned 15. And he got his red hat. Now he's got his second oldest grandson, and he's bringing him to the events. He's going to do the same thing with him. So my thanks goes out to Larry Conrad, uh, reliable on the form, and any of the rest of you guys that have crew members. And you know, every time, every week at this time when I when I mention this. I'm always amazed that the phone lines don't just completely fill up, that all 50 of those lines that that I'm paying for don't completely fill up with folks who want to tell somebody in their crew thanks. And uh, it's no secret, I've told you guys many times before that uh, that the Appleseed Project, uh, a great deal of the time, runs its its thank yous about as good as the military, right? We run our guys, we whip them and flog them, uh, just like a horse, until uh, until they drop dead in the street. And it's not because the program wants to be cruel; it's just because we have a We've got a big mission, and we're really working hard at trying to fulfill that mission. And nobody is uh, getting rode into the dirt on purpose. Uh, it's just that there's not enough of us right now. That should be that should really be prodding you guys to make sure that you don't come away from an event without getting somebody to uh, to commit to becoming uh, an instructor in training. <clears throat> Somebody who can help lighten your load. So, this is your chance to tell your local crews uh, thanks for what they do. Give them some recognition uh, for what they do and and do it uh, on air so that, uh, so that there's a record of it and so that the rest of the folks listening, know that uh, you care about the job that your local crew is doing. All right. Uh, The number is 347-308-8790. And I expect the uh, phone lines to start uh, opening up with folks, even if you just wanted to get on real quick and say, hey, thanks to uh, so-and-so and so-and-so. And uh, and then pop off. That's fine, but I always hold the uh, the time at the beginning of the show for you guys to tell your local crew thanks, and you should be doing that. <clears throat> and if you're not doing it on the air, make sure that you're doing it uh, in person. Make sure that you're letting them know. Don't let uh, don't let an event go by without letting those folks know how much you appreciate them, what they're doing, and. Uh, what it means to you and to your crews, all right? <clears throat> the Appleseed Project is, nobody here is getting paid for this. 
Everybody is a volunteer, and they're donating a huge amount of their lives to help pushing the program forward. And we're not doing it for any one person. We're not even doing it uh, uh, for the Appleseed Project, all right? We're not uh, – I don't, all right? You may be. I don't. I don't do it for the project. I don't do it for any one person. I do it for the nation. Whenever I'm doing it, whenever I'm pushing the message forward, I don't do it to help a program. I don't do it to help a person. I told you guys this before. I do it to help a nation. So any of the stuff that goes on anywhere else for any other reason, it rains off my back because I don't care. As long as I'm on the line and I'm getting to deliver the message, I'm getting other people up off the couch, getting them involved in helping uh, to provide the maintenance on this nation, to help safeguard the rights, the freedoms, and the liberties that living in this nation as a citizen of this nation affords you, then I'm good to go. All right? <clears throat> so make sure that you're that you're giving your local crews a pat on the back because they sure deserve it. All right, as a uh, as another thank you, I want to give a thanks to all of the Appleseed folks who were involved in the Pecos, Texas event that was held last weekend. The Pecos uh Run and Gun in the Sun event held in Pecos, Texas. Uh, we had, uh, oh, I think we had either 13 or 14 Appleseed instructors uh, at this event. The Pecos, Texas Run and Gun, if you're not familiar with it, <coughs> is uh, a one-of-a-kind event. There's nothing else uh, like quite like it uh, anywhere in the nation. And uh, it's run by Smokey Briggs, who's always been a big supporter of the Appleseed Project out in uh, West Texas. He's in the Monahans, uh, Pecos area. And he's been running this event for quite a while, he and his gun club. Anyway, this last weekend, uh, let me tell you about what the event is first. The event is uh, it's a pretty strenuous event. You're out in the middle of the Texas desert, and... You are uh, running up and down, uh, running across the desert, up and down, uh, very steep, tall hills. I'm not going to call them mountains because you can see the mountains, the Davis Mountains in the distance, and uh, the Franklins in the other distance, and the Guadalupe in another distance. And uh, These aren't quite mountains, but when you're running up them, they sure seem like they're mountains anyway. <clears throat> You're going to run almost seven miles in a big loop, then stationed out across the uh, the six plus plus miles are six different shooting stations, and this gives you a uh, a great chance to see uh, how your rifle skills work and to see how your body works with them, because you're not just going to a line and shooting. They're uh, they're putting a lot of other obstacles in your path. You've got the, uh, the almost seven miles through the desert first off. So when you get to a station, you're going to be you're going to have a little bit of uh, stress and 
you're going to be tired. You're going to be shaky. You're going to be uh, asked to do a bunch of uh, different things with you and your rifle that uh, you probably don't spend a lot of time doing. You go to the first station, and uh, you end up uh, shooting through a barrier. It has different slots and angles and holes and stuff cut in it. And you have to, uh, you've got to tweak your position to figure out how to, how you're going to make the shot. You're shooting at a steel plate at 100 yards, which doesn't sound that hard, right? Anybody can shoot an 18-inch square plate at 100 yards if you've been to an apple seed. <clears throat> but when you put a slot down that uh, one of the slots is uh, about uh, 18, 20 inches off the ground, tilted hard to the left, that means you're going to have to be laying down on your left side with no support and uh, holding your rifle up and trying to take a shot through it, or you may be tweaked the other way. You may have to use your left shoulder and your left eye and uh, tweak the other way. It's, it's, uh, they've done everything they can figure to torture you at that point. Uh, you'll come to another point. The next station is uh, maybe a mile away, and you'll come to another shooting position where you have to... Uh, Fire two rounds on the right side of a barrier in offhand, standing at a couple of steel plates, a couple of 18-inch steel plates set at uh, about 240 yards. You have to pop around to the left side of the barrier and shoot with your left hand in standing. Pop those same targets over there, then move to another position and pop those two targets again. Move to the third position. Now, this was uh, where they had added in some pistol work. When you come to the position, you have to shoot uh, seven steel silhouettes very rapidly, then pop your rifle back up and hit a gong at uh, about 250 to 300 yards from standing. And uh, then you go to station four. And each of these stations are set a good distance apiece so that you're not, uh, uh, <laughs> you're not, uh, you're not walking quietly to them and, uh, and rest it. You know, it's, it's set up. So that uh, when you get there, you're huffing and puffing. At the next station, uh, you're going to shoot at two targets about 250 yards away from the standing. And you're going to shoot at them from four different uh, positions. And this is after you've climbed to the top of a hill. Then you're going to be shooting as you're moving downhill uh, at these four different positions. And the targets are uh, steel plates set at... uh, I believe they're about 18, 18 inches by 24, something like that. So at about 250 yards, as, and you're going to be shooting and standing offhand as you're moving downhill. Then you're going to go another mile to the Station 5, and you're going to fire at three targets set off out in the distance at 400 meters. And you're going to have to put one round on each of those three targets. Now, you're Station 5. You think you're almost at the end. Now you have to climb to the top of a really big hill. And here comes the psychological torture. Because you get to the top of the really big hill, and you expect to see over the on the other side of the hill Station 6 and the finish line. And when you get up to the top of the hill, yeah, you do see it. You see Station 6 and the finish line. But it's way off in the distance, about three and a half miles off out in the distance. You know, you're looking at it through, a, uh, through one of those... Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the heat uh, waves, and it's three and a half miles away, way, way off in the distance. Now, three and a half miles doesn't 
down that far. But listen, you get you you run to station five and climb to the top of the hill, and you look at it and you tell me how far you think it is. <clears throat> and then uh, you're going back to the station six, and you have to stop along the way. Uh, there's a big there's a big corner that you're making. And they make you stop and uh, pick up a a round of ammunition from. Uh, uh, from an ammo box, I have to make sure that you don't cut any corners. You got to cross the finish line with that round in your hand, so they can check it. And it's not uh, it's not a round that you would likely have in your pocket. <clears throat> At station six, uh, you're going to come up to the station. There's going to be a uh, an 870 sitting on the tarp with uh, four rounds of 12 gauge. You put those four rounds in, you knock down uh, four steel poppers. And then uh, you draw your pistol, and you knock down another seven or eight uh, steel silhouettes. And then cross the finish line. finish line is only about, uh, I think it was about uh, 80 80 to 100 yards from there. Then your time for running the course and your time for shooting the targets is uh, is compiled, and then they give you uh, an overall score. As I said, the uh, there were about we we left and got there early. We got there on Thursday night so that we could be there for Friday morning because we were part of the uh, range officers who were running the event for the uh, the Pecos Run and Gun in the Sun. And of the twenty plus uh, range officers that were there, uh, thirteen of them were from Appleseed. So we gave a good showing in that. What we did is we ran the event, uh, uh, you know, in 50-50 style. Half of us were ROs on Friday while the other half ran the course, and then we switched over after lunch, and the other half ran, and uh, on the other half were ROs. So the Appleseed folks, and we all did it in our Appleseed uniforms. We all ran the course in our Appleseed uniforms, and then we ROed in our Appleseed uniforms. Everybody came through, saw the uh, – all the an apple seed person at, at, at really at every stage, and uh, the folks that do the event, Smokey was very happy with the apple seed folks, and uh, from what I understand, he has agreed to giving uh, next year having an apple seed station in the event. And that's where you'll show up at that station somewhere along the course, and it may be longer next year. I don't know. The owner of the property had another uh, another 10,000 acres that uh, he was talking about uh, opening it up. Uh, and uh, you'll arrive at the Appleseed Station, and I believe you'll shoot a red coat with your centerfire rifle. <clears throat> That'll be run by the Appleseed folks. So, so we're making strides there, and uh, several of the Appleseed folks finished in the top ten. Our very own uh, Alonso One, uh, I believe, I, I credit him in, an, uh, in a post on the forum earlier today with uh, finishing somewhere in the top ten, and I believe he may have, uh, he may be slid up all the way up into the top five. So, and uh, and there were several other Appleseed folks that ran through the program and did an absolute great job. I don't know all of I I didn't see all of the folks or or see anybody else's times other than Mark. I knew Mark was in the in the top ten. But I saw uh 
uh, Al Cockrell, K98. Uh, I saw him run it, and I saw Nick run it. Let me tell you, uh, Aromatic and uh, K98, both those guys are monsters. Uh, and uh, they did a fantastic job, both of them. Great showing. I don't know what their I don't know what their placement was because I didn't I didn't see their placement, but I I have to uh, I'd have to to bet that they were in the top ten too. So it would be great if we uh, if next year if we had some more Appleseed folks involved in this, and uh, I would be happy with filling out the top ten with Appleseed shooters. You know, I think that would go a long way toward promoting the program. And I've told you guys many times before that I think this is a good way for us to uh, to broaden our shooting experiences and to promote the program. And that's by each state uh, putting together a shooting team. Start shooting in uh, different events that are going on in your state, wearing your Appleseed uniforms and and shooting in the event as Appleseed shooting teams. I think it'll be a uh, I think it'll be a great push for the program. Anybody wants to know more about it, you can uh, PM, Alonso One, or Aromatic, or myself on the forum. We'll be glad to give you all the information so that you can uh, get signed up and registered for next year. <clears throat> all right, uh, we've got uh, several folks that have called in, and I want to give them an opportunity uh, to give a uh, shout-out to their folks. Cooper, welcome to the show. Well, greetings, Scout. <laughs> I have, uh, How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm actually off doing something not Appleseed. I'm 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 going to give some talks for the Alzheimer's Association uh, tomorrow, but it's kind of odd to be traveling and not heading to an Appleseed. Uh, uh, my, yeah, my, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, my shout out and thanks isn't to, so much to locals, although I got some great locals. It's it's everybody in in the tri-state area of uh, well, quad state, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. And Missouri, they've all showed up and really helped out with shoots for that we were running over the last six months, and every one of them is just worth their weight in gold. I can't, I can't praise them enough. So I want to, I want to put it on record. Thanks, guys and gals. It's been a wonderful year, and it's not even over yet. So let's keep it going. Well, we had some great crews in those area. And I would even uh, stretch a little bit further west and, and and bring in Idaho too. Although I know that they don't get as far east as you guys usually, but there is a great group of folks uh, in that area. A great group of instructors, and they're just getting. Uh, I'm not going to say they're getting better. They they are getting better, but they're getting bigger too, and they're adding to their instructor core and adding to the number of events they're running. And uh, I want to give my thanks to them too. I want to throw in an extra thanks. Um, my my daughter's out in the Portland, Vancouver, Washington area, and I've I kind of prepped her on Appleseed last Christmas and got her own uh, customized 1022 for her birthday, and she's been itching to go to Castle Rock. And then she ran into some car problems this week, and the folks uh, the folks in Oregon and Washington are pulling together to to help her carpool and. Make it to her first actual apple seed, not shooting in the snow in Minnesota. Wow. Well, that'll be great. And listen, yeah. let me while you're talking about that, let me tell folks too that the winter is no time to slow down because uh, you know in the beginning we would uh, 
we would kind of uh, run it up into neutral at times in the winter because, oh, it's snowing and stuff like that. But, listen, all you guys up there in the snow area, you you live and you know it's coming. You know the snow's coming. You still function. You still live. You still go to work. You do everything else out in the snow. Make sure that you're that you are not uh, uh, putting the program into idle during the winter. Make sure you're getting out there with your snow shovels and uh, and shoveling out the uh, shooting lanes down to the targets uh, and uh, running your events in the winter. Uh, there's no other way for you to know how your equipment and how your own body and everything runs in the winter except by getting out there and shooting. Well, instead of uh, instead of doing Christmas carols, last Christmas Eve I was running my daughter through uh, uh, through uh, most of the instruction for an apple seed, and we spent Christmas Day shooting shooting red coats and squares. And she actually uh, she qualified at 300 yards the first time she ever picked up a firearm. So we're going to see what happens once the uh, the Northwestern uh, instructor crew get their hands on her. I think uh, I think we're going to have uh, another riflewoman here right quick. Well, great. And listen, while we're talking, uh, I want to tell you thanks to you, Cooper, because uh, you've been uh, you've been a hard charger since you signed up, and you've been running events, and you've been uh, promoting the program, you've been pushing the crews out there, and and spreading the message uh, nonstop. Nobody's had to uh, prompt you to do it. Uh, you've been uh, pushing yourself. Uh, the whole way, and pushing others along in front of you. Uh, if anybody was slowing down in front of you, I guess you just kind of grabbed them uh, and just uh, moved them out along with you. So you've been doing a, a great job, and I want to give you my thanks and the thanks of the program for the great job well, you're doing, you. Cooper. If they're too slow, you just grab them by the collar and pull them along. It's like, let's get going. we got a nation to save. <laughs> That's exactly right. And something else you said is an idea that uh, – I've been putting out here in Texas, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to Fred about this, and that is, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're our program is is working on many different levels. Yeah, we teach shooting to folks, and and we teach rifle safety, and we teach history, but I, I've always it's always been my opinion all along that the program that becoming a rifleman, and this is I'm not telling you this is Appleseed. I'm telling you this is me talking about becoming a rifleman. Uh, shooting to 210 or above on the Appleseed, uh, uh, on the Army Qualification Test, doesn't make you a rifleman. You know, I mean, you, get, you can get a patch. Being a rifleman is an ongoing thing. And, and being a rifleman is always trying to better yourself, your family, your home, your community, your state, and your nation. Now, part of that, I feel, would be for us to be giving back uh, locally. And so what I've asked the Texas crew to do, I've said start looking, looking for folks to, uh, for us to give back to. And uh, like you're going to an Alzheimer's group, there's no reason that uh, – that the Appleseed Project can't, uh, and I, maybe I'm going to get my head chopped off of this, I don't know. But uh, I've told the local folks here that there's no reason that we can't find some groups and start uh, start cutting some checks to them. 
you know, that we can't uh, have Appleseed donate 100 bucks to this group or to this group or, or whatever, because that's part of what we're supposed to be doing is to helping out uh, our home, you know, and doing it locally. <clears throat> and I've told the, uh, the crews here in Texas, I said, you, you find the folks that you would like to donate to, and we'll make it happen. And if the program doesn't do it, then, by gosh, we'll figure out some other way to do it. We'll do it through uh, uh, donations from the instructors, or we'll do it. We'll pull it out of the range fees, and uh, and we'll make donations uh, in the name of the program to these groups. So, if this uh, this is this is something that we're doing locally here in Texas, and if it's something that the rescue groups want to do, then I certainly advocate that and. Uh, I'll take it to the boss and see what he says about it, but I don't see why we can't uh, why we can't be helping out locally. Makes sense to me. Of course, if you you know if, if you donate to the Alzheimer's folks, they won't remember where it came from. <laughs> exactly, but we'll take a photograph of it so we can show it to them. <laughs> yeah. This one, actually, this is for caregivers, actually, and then caregivers, caregivers remember everything. So, well, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing that, and I, I felt the same way that you did when I was going to the Pecos Running Gun. It's one of the first times that I've been going somewhere to do something that wasn't uh, an apple seed thing, and I thought, wow, this is, you know, this is really strange, and, uh, yeah. but I really encourage everyone. Uh, I encourage each state to put together a group of shooters that you can go out. You can show off your apple seed rifle marksmanship skills to the rest of your state by shooting in the event and uh, promoting the program at the same time, wearing your apple seed colors and shooting in the event and handing out literature while you're there and uh, trying to uh, uh, convince or coax some of the other shooters there either to attending the program uh, or becoming instructors. Yep, that works. Definitely works. Well, anybody else well, you would like to uh, you would like to sing out to Cooper? Oh heavens! Uh, the Fader Clan in the Lacrosse area. Uh, Kosciusko, who uh, stepped in as a Minnesota State Coordinator. Uh, Heavens, um, there's there's just there's just so many people. Um, this this is an amazing organization, and there's there's more there are more people to thank than you can even sit down and think of in, in an entire night. Right. Um, I'd like to also uh, jump in with the uh, uh, with Western Rose and her clan because. Oh yes. Uh, that is a an absolutely uh, fantastic role model family. There, every time they uh, somebody comes of age, uh, they get hatted and they get uh, pushed into the program. And uh, Western Rose is doing a great job. True tenacity. The whole family uh, is really carrying a a large load of the program on their backs. And I'd like to thank the the whole family there. That certainly is well-earned, definitely well-earned. All right, what do you guys have coming up that uh, you would like to get that word out on next? What's the next big event there for you guys, Cooper? Oh, heavens. Um, 
this weekend there's uh in in Wisconsin there's a shoot in Shawano, just outside of Green Bay. Um, to be real honest, I've actually uh, there, there's not that much happening in in Minnesota right this minute. I think most of us are running around trying to get our houses ready for winter. And uh, right. once we're once we're set, then then the uh, then the winter seeds begin. Uh, there'll be a Thanksgiving shoot up in Hinkley, um, Hinkley, Minnesota. And I know there's one. Uh, there'll be a shoot upcoming in Shenandoah, Iowa. There's there's quite a bit happening in the area, but it's a little more spread out. It's not like the three shoot per weekend in three states we were running uh, just a month ago. Well, I know that I know that you guys have a different. You mentioned uh, getting your doing your winter prep because I know you guys have a lot different winter prep up there than we do here in Texas. And here in Texas, we say okay. It's winter. Close the windows, and, uh, and we're just about good to go. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah, because uh, I spent, yeah. uh, geez, I spent uh, uh, three and a half weeks, I guess, up in Ripley, Minnesota, in January and February um, as uh, part of the advance party and then running missions. Uh, at Winter Warfare School there, and uh, okay, and I'm telling you, uh, I've never found a place I consider to be more uh, hell on the face of the earth than than that place at that time because uh, you know they we brought a whole uh, uh, well two C-130s full of uh, Texas troops up there and. It was just absolutely uh, hideous. I'd never been in cold weather like that before. And, you know, at one point during the mission, it got down to, uh, I guess, up 70 degrees below zero. And, uh, you know, they shut everything down uh, because it was a training op. They shut everything down. And uh, it was just hideously cold. I'd never been somewhere where I had not been warm for almost three weeks. And uh, it was just terrible. And I kept asking the people who were there. I said, "Yeah, I mean, you guys, do you guys live here on purpose? Because I, I just couldn't imagine that." But you know, I guess you get you get used to it up there. But that um, that temperature, that cold weather was just uh, was horrid. So I imagine you guys have a lot more work you have to do to get ready for winter than we do here. Yeah, mostly snow fences and extra covering on the windows, but. You know, the weather keeps the riffraff out, you know? It, uh, well, I can certainly imagine that because uh, when it gets to those really cold uh, those cold evenings, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that that uh, everybody leaves. And uh, <clears throat> like I said, it was just uh, it was uh, certainly a whole different part of the world. But you guys. Uh, you guys live up there, so you know it's going to be like that, and you're prepped for it. And you got—I'm sure that you guys have some kind of a uh, ethanol IV that you plug into uh, right around this time of the year and start, uh, you know, getting your blood prepped for it. So you guys are ready, and you can you can run the winter apple seeds. So don't slow down but, out no. there, Cooper. Yeah, a little uh, antifreeze does, does keep you moving. The keys keep your feet warm. You keep your feet warm; everything else works out fine. 
Yeah, the uh, and even worse. Well, I'm not even going to tell that story. <coughs> anyway, anyway, be uh, uh, best of uh, best of luck to you guys out there this winter. Don't slow down. Don't uh, uh, don't stop what you're doing because you guys have a great program that uh, you guys have up and running out there, and I'm really proud of of all of the folks in that uh, area of the nation. I'm proud of everybody in the program. And uh, and each week I usually talk about, uh, you know, another group. Next week we're going to talk about the uh, the Alaskan shoot, the second Alaskan shoot that just uh, came up oh, yeah. this last weekend. Because it was another big success. We're going to have everybody on for the uh, for next week to talk about the second Alaska shoot because those guys are hitting the ground running and uh from what I understand uh they're going to uh, uh they've got the additional shoots set up they made a bunch of riflemen they made a bunch of uh uh instructors in training and uh and they're moving on like gangbusters so next week we want all of them uh, as many as possible to come on the show and speak about the event you got anything else uh, Cooper Nah, just 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 praise for those Alaska folks. They've really got the American pioneer spirit, and uh, more power to them. If, uh, if you think Minnesota's cold, try the middle of Alaska. Right. Well, I'm gonna leave that for somebody else. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen, I'm not gonna hang up. I'll uh, I'll just uh, put you back in the queue, and then if you. Uh, uh, if you want to uh, say something else, you can just jump in. Okay, sounds good. All right, thanks, Cooper. Here, bye bye. <clears throat> All right, uh, so you guys remember that uh, next week we're going to get uh, uh, the uh, Alaska folks. I just had a brain freeze there for a second. We're going to get the Alaska folks to come on and talk about uh, <clears throat> talk about the event that they just held. <clears throat> get Bob and his crew to come on and uh, all the rest of the folks that went to the Alaska sheet. And uh, I'll think of his name in a second, Mooseneck. Mooseneck. Get him to uh, to call up, and uh, and I really look forward to, to hearing about things. I'm really excited about the Alaska program, and then we've got the Hawaii program upcoming, and uh, and bringing uh, the Hawaiian folks into the uh, into the fold here. All right, got another caller here, area code nine zero seven two four four. You're on there, Chris Thompson. Here, can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can. Chris Thompson, this did you is say? Roger. I go uh, shoot name Eagle River. I'm Alaska-based and uh, just came on, just saw it online. It's just um, 4.55, almost uh, time for the flag to go down on Fort Richardson. Well, listen, the, uh, were you at the event this last weekend? Absolutely, yes. I'm well, give us, give us a rundown on it then. You can give us a – I'm gonna. I want all you guys to call in next week, and we'll devote the whole show to the Alaskan uh, shoots because I'm really excited about the way you guys are uh, – uh, are stepping up to the plate, and how everybody's up up there is getting involved in it. So, Chris, give us a uh, give us a preview of what we're going to hear next week. Uh, how did the shoot go? 
Right. You, what you'll probably hear is about a subgroup of kids that are doing biathlon and uh, their training uh, just stepping up. So we like to, with some of those outdoor winter athletes, to try and shoot more in the summer, train and develop in the summer, and then shoot maybe three days a week in the summer, shoot two days a week in the fall, if possible, and one day a week in the winter. And then they compete but step up the aerobic training through the winter. We had uh, some folks from couple from the Alaska Rifle Club uh, stepping up to the plate. We see this as something to feed the high-power rifle programs here. We, um, of course, we had a we had a nurse from Fairbanks, and uh, she had a little bit of uh, limited blood supply. We call it Renaud syndrome. Uh, so the, the extra little hand warmer thing there helped. It helped that everybody had good mats for insulation. And um, Alaskans are prepared. It was interesting to see the instructors come with hoods up to having to pull hoods up on there. But, of course, we understand that when visitors come here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially a lot of those Southern California uh, folks yeah. that uh, I imagine they were getting yeah. a 70-degree yeah. 70, 70 change in temperature. Right. I'm retired Army, and I'm telling people this is the best quality instruction I've seen, you know, in my military career. Just, you know, I grew up here shooting as a teenager, and I really like the focus on the sling and the body position and just basics and uh, shoot, shoot. I, yeah, I'll save some comments till next week, though. But, you know, for somebody who's doing outdoor winter type stuff, if they can get the kids or the adults to have a half-size larger boot with an extra running shoe insole in it, um, yeah, and to make sure that they eat breakfast, actually, before coming out for a long day. Well, uh, but I'll just, I could have used on. that uh, – I could have used that information – Last weekend, you know, we did the uh, the Pecos running gun with biathlon, and I'm telling you, my feet were killing me. And that's something I'm going to do next year. I'll have uh, I'll probably have three insoles in there, and uh, uh, and you have to have good cardio if you're going to do something like that. Because if not, uh, you know, if you get to a shooting station and you're huffing and puffing and uh, and you're trembling with uh, uh, with fatigue then it's going to show in your rifle marksmanship. So you're going to have to you've got to work on the cardio, you've got to work on your rifle, work on your cardio, work on your rifle. And then you can't uh you can't neglect some of the things like I said we had a couple of stations where you had to shoot uh offhand. I mean a uh, weak side offhand. And uh, if you haven't been doing that, then it's going to show. So you're going to need to make sure that you uh, pay good attention to your body and doing your cardio and like you said you're going to have to you're going to have to stay current on your shooting uh shooting is is like any other skill you know it deteriorates uh, rather quickly when you don't use it you can't uh you can't say uh well I was in the military uh you know 20 years ago so I learned how to shoot so I'm good to go because just like you said <clears throat> or maybe you didn't really say it but I'll say it uh, I was in the military for six years, and I'll tell you this. When somebody tells me they were in the military, whenever I'm talking about their shooting skills, that means nothing to me because I was in the military for six years. I know what they teach and what they don't teach. Uh, I've got basically, uh, and, and please don't think that I'm dogging the military. I'm sure that they've, uh, they've their uh, uh, marksmanship learning has uh, improved some, but... I'll tell you this, if your job is to defend your nation with a rifle, then 
then you need Appleseed uh, to give you the uh, fundamentals of it. Because the military, when I was uh, when I went through, I didn't get uh, much in the way of rifle marksmanship at all until near the very end, and that was just because I was working with the special ops uh, unit, and I was actually participating in biathlon training. So that's the only time I got any kind of uh, of marksmanship skills other than uh, shooters watch your targets and uh, you know and just the the the, the barest minimum <clears throat> so all of you guys in the military uh, I hope you realize that, that you need this you need this uh, an apple seed rifle marksmanship weekend to give you a jump on this if you are if, if any of you guys in the military if you want to make sure that you shoot uh, and get your expert rifleman's badge. If any of you platoon leaders, uh, company first sergeants, company commanders are listening, you want to make sure that your company's scores uh, are increased overall, then you need to run them all through an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Program. You will see the results. How do I know this? Because we've already done it. We've already run uh, military uh, uh, groups through the Appleseed Project and had their scores uh increased uh, across the board. How many folks, uh, do you know how many folks showed up at the event, Chris? I do not have the head count. I think it was about 35. I do 35 not have the head shooters? count. I think okay, so. Okay, because I believe that Bob had told me that, I believe he said it was just about sold out. And uh, well, it, there, I, there were, I, I, like I say, I, I, that might have been just at the very tail end. Oh, just, oh, sorry, we had the other group of biathlon kids down the other range that I didn't count in that. Right, and he said, I believe he said that, that there was a total of close to 54, if I remember correctly. That's very possible. That's very possible. Which is great, and uh, that you guys are planning on, you already have uh, some additional dates set up. And... Uh, and what about you, Chris? What did you think of the program? I mean, you, I know that you said that uh, you thought that the marksmanship instruction was very valuable. What about the, well, I, the history? The, the history the history ties are invaluable. Just responsibility, step up, you know, take, uh, you know, this nation is important to all of us, and we have a debt, you know, that our forefathers you know, paid down for us just to be able to take their words and be able to reverberate them and have young, you know, a stone, just the the sounds, the, the stories told to young people will stick with them. If you can tell a young person a story from our heritage, it will be like a stone in a well of water that will resonate with them through their life. And it's important to do that, to, to give them a little John Adams, to give them some Hezekiah to give them just uh, Paul Revere because they won't forget it. It'll come back to them and it'll be important later in life, you know, just to hear the stories that, you know, that of how people had to endure, step up to the plate, um, pony up and, and be there for the country and just them writing to us, telling us, please take care of this constitution, take care of this country. Right. And, for those of you folks who haven't been to an Appleseed, I don't want you to think that when we talk about uh, you getting the history there, that you're getting a dry recitation or a National Parks uh, monologue 
on the history of April 19, 1775. The uh, the instructors who are giving you the story, uh, if they've if they've got a red hat on, uh, and usually even if they don't, then they are skilled in telling the story of April 19, 1775. Otherwise, they, they, they won't be wearing a red hat uh, because it doesn't matter how good you can shoot or teach uh, rifle marksmanship in the Appleseed Project. If you can't tell the story of April 19, 1775, then you cannot become a full instructor. And our instructors don't uh, they don't give you the story in a dry uh, recitation because because it deserves more than that uh, these stories are told in uh, in an impassioned uh, campfire uh, type uh, way of telling because because that's how they occurred and uh, I've, I've yet to eh, maybe I've heard one or two people who said that uh, they didn't really care for the history. But then again, those same people were the, the kind of people who said they didn't really care for anything. Uh, you know, they don't like to see the sunset. They don't want to be up at sunrise. They don't like coffee, uh, nothing. They don't like anything. So, But the rest of the folks, uh, everyone has always told me that they really enjoyed uh, the story of April 19th. And, uh, and from my point as an instructor, I love telling the story I love hearing the story, and I've heard it who knows how many times now, uh, several hundred times, and I'm still just as ready to sit down and listen to it again, and I'll be hearing it uh, this weekend, and I'm just as excited about hearing it this weekend as I was the first time I heard it. So don't think that uh, when you when that you're going to hear a, a boring or dry recitation. You're going to hear a great story. You're going to hear a campfire uh, style story that uh, that you might have the same way that you might have heard a story from your uh, from your grandfather or somebody else uh, when you're sitting around the campfire at night. This is the kind of story that you're going to hear, except it's going to be a true story filled with the factual accounts of the folks who were there, what they did, why they did it, and what it meant to us today. Why they did it on that day, knowing that they were doing it for us today. So so it is a very valuable story and well worth the uh, time to listen. And I'm sure that I'm sure that the folks there in Alaska that uh that they appreciate it just as much uh, if not more than uh, any of the rest of the folks across the nation. You still there, Chris? Yes, okay. absolutely. Loved it. No, I think uh, we even had the young uh, mom. She's got a Ph.D. She came uh, in the summers, enthused about her kids, um, just switched on, and uh, it's it's spreading pretty. I think it will it will grow. Just today at Rotary in Eagle River, a young uh, a middle aged doctor said, "Oh man, I I wanted to be there. I'm going to be there next time." He was just asking me, what kind of rifle should I have and all that kind of stuff. He said, I can't believe I missed it. He said, I just, but it'll be there. That, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, when is the next event you guys have scheduled there, Chris? We have the, was it 20th, 21st? It's a weekend following the April um, 19th. So it's that Saturday, Sunday. 
Um, we'll sometimes we still have a little bit of snow on the ground. Um, bears are just thinking about coming out of their uh, holes, so we haven't really started bear hunting yet. But um, it'll be cold, but uh, it'll be usually good weather, usually sunny and bright, and we're always happy to be out in April. Um, generally, kind of it could be swampy ground uh, at times if there's been a snow load that just all of a sudden melts. We call it breakup. Or we can get glacier dust coming down out of the valleys, blowing uh, blowing heavy dust uh, because the riverbeds are dry. Uh, but uh, we're we're happy to be out in April. Right, and uh, I haven't been to Alaska. Well, I I did. I think I went. I think we just crossed the border when I was a kid from Canada. <clears throat> but uh, we were talking about the bears. I remember in uh, Colorado once we were on the side of a snow-covered hill we were on the trail and uh, there was a drift in the uh in the snow i mean uh there was a huge field of it there was just uh flat and clean and clear no tracks or nothing on it and we were sitting there looking uh, down the slope we're almost at the top of uh one of the passes there we're looking down the slope, and then we turned back around as we were uh, as we'd gotten through, we were getting ready to move on again. And then uh, I guess about oh maybe 250, 300 yards from us, there was a big hole in the snow field that wasn't there before. And then these tracks leading from it, and uh, <laughs> and apparently uh, a bear had just uh, come out of its hibernation because. Uh, or it had gone into a cave before the snow, I don't know, whatever. But there was a big hole there where the bear had come out of the snow and uh, and had walked off while we were looking downhill. <clears throat> and uh, that, of course, uh, put us on our toes uh, for the rest of the trip. And I imagine the bear was kind of hungry, so we didn't want to provide any quick uh, you know, snacks for it. If they're coming to Alaska, they don't have to read Bear Tales 1, Bear Tales 2, Terror Stalks the Night, Danger Stalks the Land. Uh, just stay away from all those books. Just read American history. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, make sure that uh, between now and next Thursday that uh, any of the folks that you have contact with, that you get the word out to them that uh, we'd like for them to call into the show uh, this next Thursday and have the show devoted to the Alaska group. Uh, and hear about well, their, the the events and stuff, <clears throat> and then you make sure that you call back too. And do you know? Uh, did you know uh, Mooseneck? Uh, negative. I don't know his real name. Maybe you know him. You know the whole idea of the Appleseed nickname and stuff has always been very troubling to me. As far as you meet somebody online, I'm not saying you meet him in person. You meet him online. You can know him for a couple of years, and then. Uh, uh, they show up at an, at an event somewhere, and you get to meet them in person. Only they don't introduce themselves as their nickname. They say their real name, and you just look at them, and you go, oh, okay, hey, nice to meet you. And uh, you can tell they're a little bit tweaked about something. And then after a little while, you find out that they're so-and-so, and they're they're wondering why you you know didn't say hi or give them a bigger handshake or a hug or something. And I'm like, I, I didn't know that's who you were. Hey, I, I, but, just, uh, a, just a thought. Uh, can we throw out wild ideas? Um, I thought we had rain both days, um, but we were in under underhead cover. 
Uh, I think uh-huh. sometimes like the ranger tab, if you go a course in ranger school for 30-some days with rain, you get to sew on with blue thread. Maybe if you have apple seeds that do just continuous rain, they let them sew on with blue thread. Well, you know, we've got some of that. Uh, if you get your uh, rifleman's patch in the winter, they showed you the rifleman's patch, right, for the winter seeds? Right. It's got the icicles hanging off of it. So you guys should very easily uh, qualify for a lot of those. But uh, I like your idea about the rain seeds, too, because I'm telling you, uh, not last year, but year before last, I don't know that I did uh, any of the 23 or 24 events that I did. I don't know how many of them I did that it wasn't raining at. And uh, it was driving me insane. you do that, you'll have to do a a fire seed and a dust seed for Texas and that area. Exactly, exactly. Well, I don't mind. I'll, I'll do those, or we'll we'll get a rocker to to run underneath it. You know that uh, you know ice storm, a hurricane, tornado. You know something like that. I've done uh, events where there was a uh, the civil air defense siren was going on off in the distance for the tornadoes, <clears throat> and I've done events. Uh, we did an event here a couple of years ago in uh, here in uh, Davila, where we had the hurricane came through directly uh, directly across the event while we were running it and uh, and wrecked havoc on everything. But I told the guys, I said, look, we're, we're here to shoot. So if you don't want to shoot, you can go ahead and uh, and take off, you know, no no blame or anything. But we're going to go ahead and shoot through it. And everybody just kind of, uh, they had that nervous grin on their face and said, okay, we're going to shoot. <laughs> and they did. They shot they shot in the hurricane. I mean, we had a little bit of a trouble getting the wet targets to keep from blowing away and stuff like that. But you know, that's one of the things about appleseed. Unless it's uh, unless there's lightning, we're going to shoot in the weather because because that's what we do. There's no other way for you to find out what you or your equipment does in weather except to participate and shoot in weather. So that's one of the things that I've always. I'm not going to say I always enjoyed it about Appleseed because when you're going through it, when you're standing there in the pouring cold rain and you're soaked through to the bone and you're laying down in the mud, uh, in the cold mud to shoot, I don't really enjoy that. But if you can just keep in your mind that in, a, in about a day or two days I'll be warm again and then we can all laugh about this, then uh, you can get through it. But otherwise, I mean, how many people would actually – Somebody came to your house, Chris, and said, hey, Chris, listen, it's pouring down rain outside, cold rain, too. It's pouring down cold rain. Why don't you and I go to the range uh, today, and let's shoot for about eight or nine hours in the rain. You ready? You want to go? And you would say, what is uh, wrong with you? There's no way I'm going. And they said, well, let's do it for two days, then. Let's do it, let's do it today and tomorrow in the pouring rain. Uh, you ready? And you would say, I don't, let's just come inside and let's have a beer and talk about this, because I think you're acting irrationally. And uh, let's do a library seed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Come on in. We'll pop open a couple of beers, and you can. And we'll do. A, you know, we'll talk about the history. But that's not the way we run. You know, we run the events: uh, wind, rain, sun, shine, uh, freeze, whatever. And it gives you a chance to become familiar with your rifle systems and your yourself and your shooting skills. So, uh, so God bless the program for doing that. Well, anybody that you would like to thank uh, in your local crews there, Chris? I, I don't know all their names very well, but I, I know especially Josh Holloway, who just would have had his first child 
was instrumental in getting us uh, things organized, pre-organized logistically. And I know Kaylee had stepped up. Uh, there was just a number of them that first night where we met together as instructors, everybody who was there. And, uh, no, it was it was communal. It was mutually supportive. Um, the one mom, the, the Ph.D., she had brought uh, food and stuff. Uh, one of the moms made uh, uh, salmon chowder. Uh, our SOCOM SF guy brought uh, – Texas Chili, um, it was a, a great event, and everybody pitched in. Well, what do they consider, up in Alaska, what do they consider Texas Chili? It didn't have any beans in it, did it? Well, it has moose, and, uh, yeah, it had beans, sure. I mean, we oh. got to get something from Texas. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, uh, thanks for calling in, Chris. And be sure and get your crews to call in on next Thursday. And you call in, too, okay? Roger. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, and I'll see you this next Thursday. <clears throat> okay. Uh, thanks, everybody, for calling in. Thanks to uh, Cooper and uh, Chris <clears throat> and uh, uh, all of the folks who have called in to thank their local crews and to talk about events. And that's one of the reasons we do the show. We want you guys to be able to uh, have a place where you can call in and let the rest of the let the rest of the crews, let the rest of the nation know uh, what's going on in your area, and to thank your folks. And then for us to put out information, uh, one last bit of information I want to put out. Now, the uh, uh, I've always told folks that I encourage them if they have some <clears throat> uh, business venture that they're running, then. Uh, I'm always willing to put out the information uh, for it on the radio show, free. I'm not getting any money for this. I don't want for Blog Talk to uh, to think that uh, I'm uh, <clears throat> sandbagging them on it. I, I never, I never take any money for any type of mentioning any of these folks. <clears throat> but I do want to make sure that, uh, and I believe I can't see the, the chat room now, but uh, normally the call screener will uh, put in the addresses. Uh, for the different folks, we've got uh, Blue Feather Soaps, and uh, uh, we've got, uh, oh, I can't think of his name just a second. I, I want to say Desert Eagle, but it's uh, part of the New Mexico crew that is uh, uh, that's selling long-term food. <coughs> and uh, we've got the band Poker Face that uh, provides the music for us, for our bump music, and, uh, and several other folks who... Uh, uh, who provide uh, services, and any time that uh, if we can help any of our brother or sister apple eaters, then uh, that should be what we're trying to do. You know, if we can, if there's something that you need to purchase or some service or something, then uh, get it from your apple seed uh, members first if you can. Along that line, I want to announce that uh, <clears throat> that uh, here in Texas we've got a uh, a shooting school that's opening up. And uh, we got a couple of things. We've got uh, uh, we're uh, running uh, Texas CHLs, and we're running uh, uh, all levels of uh, handgun self-defense, of rifle and shotgun uh, self-defense shooting. Uh, we're not doing uh, just uh, the uh, basic rifle marksmanship because that's Appleseed's venue, <coughs> but. If you need a uh, uh, self-defense 
handgun course, then uh, we've got uh, a great, uh, great courses that we've set up. We'll be running a level one, level two handgun on November 12th and 13th here in Central Texas, and uh, then I believe on December 3rd we're having a uh, an Appleseed instructor class, the level one handgun, I believe, and I think we're giving everybody 50 bucks off the uh, off the course price that would like to attend. There's only, uh, I think we're holding it at 20 slots, which is normal. It's just a fairly good deal above the normal number of shooters that we uh, that will run in a course. But because we know that uh, the Appleseed folks, we kind of know their backgrounds, we figure it's okay to uh, have a couple of extra instructors and then uh, run uh, open the course up to 20 folks. That's December uh, 3rd. So if you're a uh, an Appleseed instructor, then and you would like to uh, participate in the the uh, level one handgun, then we invite you to attend. You can find out more about it at BattleRoadUSA one word dot com. BattleRoadUSA dot com, and then uh, you can shoot a uh, email or PM to myself or to uh, Alonso One, and. Uh, and we will get you registered for the course. Once again, we've got the November 12th and 13th, which is level one handgun and level two handgun, and then the December 3rd course, which is an Appleseed Instructors course, uh, is level one handgun, and it's going to be uh, uh, open to Appleseed Instructors at a, uh, I don't know what that is, uh, it's a pretty pretty good discount, though. So if any of you guys like, would like to attend, we'd love to have you there. And uh, you'll learn a great deal from a very experienced instructor. The uh, instructor is, uh, uh, is uh, he's got over a 1,000 hours of, uh, of classes along with, uh, with uh, thousands of hours of real-world experience of, uh, of drawing and shooting in places where it matters in situations where it matters, all right? So uh, get in touch with me if uh, if you'd like to attend the courses, because we'd love to have you there. Once again, that's battleroadusa.com. <clears throat> all right, <clears throat> and then again, if any, if any of you guys have a commercial venture that you'd like to share uh, with the rest of the Appleseed folks, we would love to, uh, to give you a, a push, no charge. You just uh, give us the information and uh, and come on the show. Oh, all right, uh, in the rabbit hole. Uh, also, these are the uh, they're the Appleseed instructors who have uh, who are running the Urban Survival uh, newsletter and uh, and blog. They were our guests, uh, I think, uh, a week or two ago, uh, and uh, we we're glad to have them on. And they provided uh, a lot of great uh, information. For folks, they come at uh, at survival and prepping from an urban viewpoint. <clears throat> All right, tonight we said what we would talk about cow pens. All right, and uh, that is part of the uh, the second invasion of the South. It's part of the second battle for the South. Uh, you know, a lot of folks. When they think of the American Revolutionary War, they think of New England and Boston and uh, most
mostly just a faucet, I think a lot of people think of, and uh, Lexington Concord, stuff like that. The majority of the battles were actually fought in New York. and uh, But they still think of the American Revolutionary War being fought in New England. And it was to a great, de- to a great degree. But uh, not long after it started, it switched to the South. And, of course, the war was actually, uh, uh, it actually ended up being won in the South. And a great deal of the fighting took place in the southern colonies. This is part of the second uh, battle for the South. And uh, this occurred in 1781. So let's, uh, we'll give you the setup now. Uh, Morgan and Green, two of the generals, were now in South Carolina. They were about 140 miles apart with uh, Green operating with the guerrillas in the north-central part of the state. Cornwallis detached Tarleton to handle Morgan while he readied himself to take on Green and his troops. On January 16, 1781, Morgan, with 1,000 men, including reinforcements under Colonel Andrew Pickens, was informed by his scouts that Tarleton, with a mixed force of 1,100 regulars and Tories, was but a day's march away. Should Morgan retreat, he knew his militia would vanish. They would, if he started on a retreat, he knew that he knew that the militia uh, would begin to fade away and return to their homes, etc. <clears throat> and then a, reco- a uh, withdrawal across the unfordable Broad River meant a very dangerous delay. The Broad River was too deep for them to ford it. They would have to go across on boats, and he didn't have any boats. So it was going to be, it was going to take a good time. They'd either have to go up and down the river and try and confiscate or borrow some boats, or he'd have to try and make some, make some boats out of greenwood. So he was also worried that if he did fight, if he stood and fight, his troops might panic again as they had at Camden. Uh, remember, a great deal of his force was militia, and and the militia uh, throughout the war were notorious for uh, for panicking, for not being reliable troops. You know, until the very end, and then they weren't really uh, most of the groups. They, most of the militia. Uh, until they were hardened veterans, uh, were unreliable forces, and they were always a uh, uh, they were always a wild card in any of the battles. Okay, so what did he do? <clears throat> Morgan decided to stand and fight. He decided he was going to take his chances. He was going to fight uh, Tarleton, and <clears throat> even though he had a uh, fewer number of men. Then Tarleton, he was going to stand and fight. What he did is he made his stand in a level clearing known as the Cowpens. Cowpens was once a, a pasture for backwoods cattle. There wasn't really, there weren't really pens there. It wasn't like a uh, a stockyard or anything. Uh, it was just a a pasture that uh, the folks would use for uh, either rounding up or for uh, for feeding cattle. The Broad River cut off all the retreat for his men, okay? 
He put his men with their backs against the river. Nobody was going to be able to retreat in this battle. Nobody was going to be able to get around to his rear either. All right? <clears throat> the night before the battle, he went out among the militia, uh, and he had reserved uh, for the militia a very conspicuous role. He encouraged them, telling them that the old wagoner would crack his whip over Ben in the morning, as sure as he lived. He exhorted them to fire two volleys, after which they could retire. Now, as you can imagine, there wasn't uh, much sleep for Morgan that night. And Morgan had set this up, and he acted in a very unorthodox way. In the front line, he placed the raw militia. And uh, traditionally, this had not worked well, because uh, in, in a great many of these battles, the militia, upon seeing the enemy at uh, close range, uh, 100 meters or so, many of them, uh, at many times, had not even fired a shot. They had, uh, they took off running. They'd taken off running, thrown their rifles, uh, you know, out in the fields, and, and run like hell. So he was taking a big chance on this. He put his militia out in front of all his uh, his regular men, asked them to fire the two volleys, and then said that they could retire after that. They could, uh, they could retreat and come back behind the lines after they had fired the two volleys. Now, behind the militia, on slightly rising land, were the Continentals. Now, the Continentals were the guys who were part of the regular uh, uh, colonial army. <clears throat> and the seasoned Virginia militiamen under Lieutenant Colonel John Eager Howard. Now, they were ordered to hold their ground at all costs. And, of course, they had to, right? They had their backs to an unfordable river. There's no running away, folks. You're, he, had, he had made his stand there, just like the dog soldiers. You know, the Sioux dog soldiers, where they would they would come off their horses, they would plant that uh, spike in the ground, and they'd say, here I stand, here I fight. I mean, no, I'm not leaving until the battle's over. <clears throat> and that's how he was setting up his forces. There would be no retreat. There's nowhere they could run to. They're going to have to stand and fight. Farther to the rear on a low ridge, which was self-sheltered from the British fire, he placed his cavalry, which was under Lieutenant Colonel Washington. To Tarleton, Calpin seemed a perfect setup for the standard tactics of his normal frontal bayonet attack, before which the militia had always run. And they had. They had always run. When they were faced with a, uh, a full-on bayonet attack from the mass British troops, they had always run. Most of the militia didn't have bayonets. So when they saw professional troops closing in on them with the seven-foot spears with the 20-inch triangular sharpened blade on the rear, uh, they had become unnerved and taken off. When the British approached to within 100 yards of the Americans, they were met by the first volleys. The sharpshooting militiamen, headed uh, by Morgan, and under Morgan's exhortation, he told them, look for the epaulets. Pick off the epaulets. Now, this, is a, this was a fairly common practice among the sharpshooters. They were, uh, they were usually told to shoot the officers first. And, of course, the, the colonials and the militia members had come under great protest. Uh, this practice 
This practice was frowned upon by the British regular officers, as you can well imagine, right? They thought this was very ungentlemanly and unsporting. Stop shooting all the officers in the first volleys, they would say. Nonetheless, the uh, colonial and militia riflemen were directed to do so. And when I'm talking about riflemen, that's what I'm talking about. These are guys using uh, firearms with a rifled barrel, not the uh, smoothbore muskets that you're getting a uh, uh, a Russian roulette-style chance of a hit at 70, 70 meters. These are the rifled muskets that are firing a thirty caliber ball that uh, can give you accurate fire uh, out to 250. That's where our... Uh, that's where the final round, the 13th round, on the red coat target comes from, from the target that Morgan's riflemen were required to hit. For you to get to Morgan's riflemen, <clears throat> you had to be able to place a round uh, in a pumpkin uh, into a, uh, uh, you know, a pie pan at uh, 250 yards, and you had to be able to do it consistently. It's not like, uh, yeah, I can probably do it. Give me ten shots and one of them will get in there. No. For you to become a part of the rifleman, you had to put little rounds into the pie plate consistently from 250 yards. That's why we have that target up there on the uh, the red coat. Not to teach people to shoot headshots, but to show you the the skill that those soldiers were using 250 years ago. Right? 200, uh, two, not 250. 235 years ago. I'm thinking about 250 yards. 235 years ago. <clears throat> and what were they using? They were using a barrel that was made with a hammer and a fire and an anvil, with a stock that was carved with uh, some type of a pocket knife kind of thing, had a firing mechanism and that they, uh, they loaded loose gunpowder in, and then a little bit of cloth, and then pushed the ball in there, put a little bit more gunpowder on the outside, and then it was fired by a rock hitting a piece of metal. Wait, what did I say? It was fired by a rock hitting a piece of metal? That's right. That's exactly how it was made to fire. So, today, with your CNC, your, your, uh, your computer-controlled machines, cranking out the, uh, the modern firearm barrels and parts, with the superb level of ammunition manufacturing, the sights, uh, everything, your rifles today that don't use a rock to fire them are way ahead of the uh, rifles made back then, right? You should be able to hit that target uh, very easily. And yet you can ask the folks who have uh, shot the red coats. You can ask a good majority of them how many of them cleaned that red coat. How many of them got uh, three rounds in the uh, 100, 200, 300, and 400 yard targets, and then one round uh, into the simulated uh, uh, headshot there on the red coats? And it's not going to be a whole lot of folks that are able to shoot to that standard of accuracy, and yet Morgan's men did. So the militia, the sharpshooters, the riflemen, were picking off. The guys with the epaulets. Of course, if you could see the the officers at 250 yards, and I'm sure that they were beginning to drop them at that distance. They fired twice 
with a very lethal effect. This is the militiamen at the beginning, at the front of the uh, the mass forces, or of Morgan's forces. Uh, then they moved around to the American left toward the low ridge in the rear. All right, the British line now lunged forward and attacked the second line. These are the Continentals. <clears throat> Tarleton figured this would bring a swift end to the battle, and uh, he actually even ordered his reserves to advance on the extreme left of his line, and the cavalry, which was still farther to his left, to turn the right flank of the American line. All right, to counter this threat, Colonel Howard ordered his right flank company to change its front and form at right angles with the main body. In other words, they're setting up uh, like an L-shaped formation uh, so that they can't, their flank cannot be rolled up uh, by the troops who are coming in. Then, uh, when that company moved uh, to change its front and form up at right angles, in the confusion of the battle, uh, remember, they don't have uh, a whole lot of good ways uh, of signaling and stuff like that. A lot of times folks were using flags or, or drum beats uh, uh, or shouted commands to get the movement. In the confusion, those guys started falling back, all right? <clears throat> and it's things like this that can make or break a battle. You have a little bit of a confusion you have uh, some part of your line that uh, becomes separated or begins to fall back without orders or incorrectly, and it can destroy the whole thing. Instead of uh, repelling uh, the, the troops that had been sent to roll up the flank, uh, they could have fallen back to a point or even started to retreat uh, rapidly, and that would have allowed uh, Charleston's forces to begin rolling up that right flank of the American line. However, instead, Morgan... He was keeping his head, he was a very cool uh, character, keeping his head at the most critical moment of the battle, ordered the entire line to pull back to. Sensing victory, Tarleton sent his whole force rushing in impetuously and wildly and in complete disorder. So you see what's happening here? <clears throat> Morgan puts the militiamen out front. The British regulars begin advancing on them. The militia fires the two volleys like they're supposed to fire, uh, even uh, knocking down uh, the riflemen that were stationed there with them, knocking the uh, officers down so that uh, they're helping to destroy the command and control of the situation. Then they take off running. Tarleton sees this. He commits his whole force, including the reserves. He commits his whole force to this. All right. As they come in, he's also sending his uh, cavalry and the, another part of his reserves <clears throat> uh, to the left of the line to turn the right flank of the American line. When the American line, when the American, the colonials see this, Howard orders his flanking company, uh, in sort of instead of to facing to full on, to pull back so that to, at an angle, so that now the uh, right flank is facing the threat that's coming along there. <clears throat> Instead, those guys uh, begin pulling back in confusion. When Tarleton sees this, the, uh, I mean, when Morgan sees this, he tells the whole line, 
all right, pull back, not in confusion. He's just telling them to pull back. That way the troops that are coming on to the right flank cannot get to the right flank and behind. They're, now they're left once again in front of the battle positions. Tarleton sees this, and he orders a full-on rush, and the soldiers do too, because they think that the whole, uh, uh, the whole Continental Army there is pulling back in confusion and retreat. Morgan was simply getting his men to pull back so that uh, uh, he could refirm his lines, all right? <clears throat> so now Tarleton's men are rushing forward because they think that they've got these guys in a full retreat. They're not moving forward in company order in battle formation. They're beginning on a full-out run uh, to exploit what they consider to be the route of Morgan's lines. Now, here's Morgan's fantastic opportunity. He orders the line, the line of the Continental, these are the veterans, to halt and face about. Now, Howard has his men charge the enemy with bayonets. And Washington, who is uh, heading up the, the mounted cavalry for Morgan, <clears throat> he sends his men out and uh, prevents Tarleton's dragoons from covering Tarleton's retreat. So what happened now? All of a sudden now, you have the all of the British forces who've been sucked down into the center uh, of the mass of Morgan's troops. At the same time, Howard's men have charged. They've charged out of the lines with bayonets. And Howard's men were not the militia. Howard's men were part of the Continental uh, veterans. Howard's men charge uh, out of the lines, and uh, and they're sweeping around on the uh, left flank of Tarleton's men, of the British regulars. Washington's cavalry is coming around the other flank and encircling them. Now they have captured, they have the whole unit in a pincer move. They surrounded them. They sucked them down in there. They st- they, uh, Morgan had his men turn around, begin firing, and begin charging. And they've captured the whole group of Tarleton's men. The whole British group surrendered as one piece. They surrendered in mass. Their casualties were about 100 killed, 200 wounded, with 600 prisoners. The Patriots lost 12 killed and 60 wounded. Now, the only person that didn't get caught in this was Tarleton himself. With a corporal's guard, Tarleton managed to escape on horseback. He and I believe two other riders were the only ones that escaped this group, uh, but not before there had been a quite uh, active and colorful hand-to-hand saber duel between Tarleton and Colonel Washington. So Morgan's men, after pulling back in, not uh, in a rout, but pulling back uh, in a skilled maneuver, he pulled them back. I told him to halt, turn around, face, fire. But before this, the British regulars thought that they were chasing a defeated foe. They started to run pell-mell. They got sucked into the center, and then they were held in a pincher by Howard's men, his uh, uh, infantry on the left flank, and Colonel Washington's cavalry on the right. They came around and circled the whole group. 
caught everyone except Tarleton and his corporal's guard, who after fighting a, uh, a very quick uh, saber duel with Washington, he turned tail and ran out of Tarleton's whole unit. He and the, uh, the two corporal's guards were the only ones that got away. A tremendously successful event for Morgan. And uh, he had done it in a uh, in a very unorthodox way, as we said. He had taken the uh, he had taken the militiamen who he had a good idea were going to run anyway, and placed them uh, at the head of the the formation. They did fire their two rounds, and then they did uh, take off, and they controlled. Retreat, but apparently it looked as if it were a uh, if it were a headlong flight uh, of uh, of a loss of courage, <clears throat> and he had everyone's back against the river. There was no there was no running away. They knew it was a uh, uh, it was a fight to the end battle that day. <clears throat> Morgan's strategy. This was a masterful battle strategy. He did a great job. This was used by Green again at Guilford Courthouse and at Utah Springs. If you read the, those battles, you'll see that uh, Green, after hearing about Morgan's battle tactics, he used these same ones, and and it was a good strategy. Uh, and they would get their they would get their they place the raw militia at the very front. They would get their couple of rounds uh, out of them. And then they would retreat back, and both times they almost sucked uh, Cornwallis's, and uh, uh, they would almost suck the uh, British regulars into the trap. And uh, both times there was confusion on both sides that uh, that kept the trap from being sprung as skillfully as it was at Cowpens. So the British, the British never forgot Cowpens. Uh, Cornwallis even wrote to Lord Rowden. He said, "The late affair almost breaks my heart." Tarleton preserved his fiery impetuosity throughout the rest of the campaign, but the ghost of Cowpens continued to haunt him on his return to England, and there. His most acid critic, Lieutenant McKenzie of the 71st Regiment of Highlanders, who was actually wounded at Cowpens, published a series of, ta- of attacks upon Tarleton's conduct of the battle. Tarleton was actually charged with putting his troops into battle immediately after a night march and with advancing his line before it had been formed uh, properly. In one of the most savage letters published in London Morning Chronicle on August 8, 1782, McKenzie asserted that <clears throat> you got yourself and the party completely ambuscaded, completely surrounded upon all sides by Mr. Morgan's riflemen. What was the consequence? The two detachments of British were made prisoners after a great slaughter was made among them. Your legion dra- dragoons were so broke by galling fire of rifle shot that your charging was in vain till prudence on your side, with about 20 more who were well-mounted, made your retreat good by leaving the remains of the poor blended legion in the hands of Mr. Morgan, who, I must say, though an enemy, 
show great masterly abilities in this maneuver. Thus fell, at one blow, all the provincial legion, with about 300 veterans. That's a pretty scathing attack. Uh, From... Lieutenant McKenzie of the 71st Regiment of Highlanders. And uh, and I'm sure it was not, uh, he did not do it without warrant. He was, uh, as it mentions here, he himself was shot there uh, at Cowpens and taken prisoner. <clears throat> All right. Let's see, this is a, and once again, I'm going to tell you guys that I'm reading to you from uh, the book that's called The Spirit of 76, edited by Henry Steele Commager and Richard B. Morris, put out by Castle Books. And and I'll tell you again, one of the reasons that I love this this book is because <clears throat> if you want to know about, if you want to know about history, you can read uh, many different Books that uh, that all give great stories of history, right? Uh, starting with our own uh, uh, David Hackett Fisher, who was uh, who penned the uh, Paul Revere's Ride. Uh, there are, are many great books that will tell you a great deal about uh, American Revolutionary War history. But those guys, what they had to do in order to learn what happened at these battles, they had to go and they had to read the the accounts, the personal accounts of the battles from the people who were there. And what this book does is it gives you, uh, in a chronological order almost, of the the events, <clears throat> the information of the events from the people's mouths. This is the all of the letters, uh, all of the drawings, all of the uh, the accounts of the battles by the people who were there. So you can read what happened of the events, not by reading somebody who read these letters and then wrote what they thought their account of it should read or say. You can read it from the folks who were actually there and who actually experienced it. These are the letters from the people who were there. <clears throat> All right, uh, this is the account of James P. Collins. Uh, and it's titled, One More Fire and the Day is Ours. About sunrise on the 17th of January, 1781, the enemy came in full full view. The sight, to me at least, seemed somewhat imposing. They halted for a short time and then advanced rapidly as if certain of victory. The militia under Pickens and Moffat was posted on the right of the regulars some distance in advance while Washington's cavalry was stationed in the rear. We gave the enemy one fire. When they charged us with their bayonets, we gave way and retreated for our horses. Tarleton's cavalry pursued us. Now, thought I, my hide is in the loft. I'm sure that's what he thought. He goes, now nah, I've done it. Now I'm going to get in trouble now. We shot at these guys. The cavalry is charging us and I'm about to get uh, chopped to pieces. Just as we got to our horses, they overtook us and began to make a few hacks at some. However, without doing much injury, they, in their haste, had pretty much scattered, perhaps thinking they would have another Fishing Creek frolic. 
And this was a, another battle earlier where they had uh, put the militia, uh, they had routed them and pretty much savagely had slaughtered them uh, as they continued to run them down. But in a few moments, Colonel Washington's cavalry was among them like a whirlwind. And the poor fellows began to keel from their horses without being able to remount. The shock was so sudden and violent, they could not stand it, and immediately betook themselves to flight. But there was no time to rally, and they appeared to be as hard to stop as a drove of wild Choctaw steers going to a Pennsylvania moment market. I mean, In a few moments, the clashing of swords was out of hearing and quickly out of sight. So this was a battle uh, on horseback, a sword fight on horseback between the cavalry. And a lot of them were shot. A lot of them were shot off their horses. By this time, both lines of the infantry were warmly engaged, and we, being relieved from the pursuit of the enemy, began to rally and prepared to redeem our credit. When Morgan rode up in front and waving his sword cried out, Form up, form up, my brave fellows. Give them one more fire and the day is ours. Old Morgan was never beaten. We then advanced briskly and gained the right flank of the enemy, and they, being hard-pressed in front by Howard and falling very fast, could not stand it long. They began to throw down their arms and surrender themselves prisoners of war. The whole army, except Tarleton and his horsemen, fell into the hands of Morgan, together with all of their baggage. Wow. So there you go. And you see, too, you see the importance then of the commanders being at the right places at the right time. Here these guys were. They had been chased by the cavalry. They thought that they were done. They thought that they were getting fixing to get uh, uh, slaughtered. Washington's cavalry slams into uh, Tarleton's cavalry, his dragoons at the time. This gives the militia that had been running, gives them a time to catch their breath as they're standing there waiting, uh, wondering what to do. Now, they can't take off at a full flight because they got the broad river. They can't get across it anyway. Right about this time, Morgan comes up, General Morgan, right up in front of them. He's uh, waving his sword, yelling at the boys, Form up, my brave fellows. Give them one more fire, and the day is ours. That lifts their spirits. That gets them back into a fighting formation. They come back up to the line, and they begin to shoot into the flank of the British regulars, who were taking heavy fire from Howard and the rest of the Continentals uh, head on, they began to fire into the flanks, and the whole British, uh, the whole British battle line begins to surrender. The absolutely, uh, absolutely perfectly executed battle. <clears throat> okay, uh, we got time for one more letter, and. Uh, this is Lieutenant Colonel John Eager Howard's account. Remember, Howard was on the uh, the right flank <clears throat> with his men. Uh, these were the guys who had been ordered to turn and form uh, uh, form an angle so that they could protect the flank of the Continental Army from the uh, uh, from Charlton's men. There had been a bit of confusion and. Uh, they started retreating, and that is when Morgan got the full continental line to to pull back uh, and then face about, and then Howard's men regrouped and charged. All right. Lieutenant Colonel John Eager Howard's account. Seeing my right flank was exposed to the enemy, I attempted to change the front of Wallace's company. These were the Virginia 
regulars. In doing it, some confusion ensued, and they first a part, and then the whole of the company commenced a retreat. The officers along the line seeing this and supposing that orders must have been given for a retreat faced their men about and moved off. Morgan, who had mostly been with the militia, rode up to me and expressed apprehensions of the event. I'm sure that's a polite way of, of putting it. But I soon removed his fears by pointing to the line and observing that the men were not beaten who retreated in that order. He then ordered me to keep the men, keep with the men until we came to the rising ground near Washington's horse, and he rode forward to fix on the most proper place for us to halt and face about. In a minute, we had a perfect line. The enemy were now very near us. Our men commenced a very destructive fire, which they little expected, and a few rounds occasioned great disorder in their ranks. While in this confusion, I ordered a charge with the bayonet, which order was obeyed with great alacrity. As the line advanced, I observed their artillery a short distance in front and called to Captain Ewing, who was near me, to take the artillery pieces. Captain Anderson, now General Anderson of Montgomery County, Maryland, hearing the order, also pushed for the same object, and both being emulous for the prize, kept pace until near the first piece, when Anderson, by placing the end of his spontoon forward into the ground, made a long leap, which bought him upon the gun and gave him the honor of the prize. Well, well, there you go. He put his spontoon into the ground, which is kind of like a, like a spear. He put his spontoon forward into the ground and made a long leap, uh, like a pole falter. He he was so determined to get to take that artillery piece first that he pole vaulted into it and took the gun. In the pursuit, I was led towards the right and among the 71st, who were broken into squads, and as I called to them to surrender, they laid down their arms, and the officers delivered up their swords. Captain Duncanson of the 71st Grenadiers gave me his sword and stood by me. Upon getting on my, for my horse, I found him pulling at my saddle, and he nearly unhorsed me. I expressed my displeasure and asked him what he was about. The explanation was that they had orders to give no quarter, and they did not expect any. And, and as my men were coming up to them, he was afraid they would use him ill and kill him. I admitted his excuse and had put him into the care of the sergeant. You understand what he's saying? Tarleton had given his men orders that there was to be no quarter. No quarter means that nobody was going to be allowed to surrender. And because of Tarleton's common use of this tactic, the colonials quite often would yell out what they called Tarleton's Quarter when they were fighting. That meant no quarter. That meant we're going to kill every one of you. You get down on your knees and surrender, and we're going to kill you. Because that is what Carlton had been ordering his men to do. They were ordered to kill prisoners. And anyway, so this officer, knowing he had been given that order and that uh, most of the colonials knew this, he expected that to happen to him. So he grabbed uh, Howard's horse, was hanging on to it, saying, uh, you know, begging for him to give him quarter, uh, quarter and to defend him. All right, to read more about uh, Cowpens, I advise everybody to. Fantastic battle. Another example uh, of Morgan's uh, great ability uh, in battle, the great use of tactics. <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> thank you, everyone.
everyone for calling in tonight. Thanks uh, to the call screener. Thanks to all the folks that uh, that were listening, all the folks in the chat room. And uh, remember that next Thursday we'll have the all of the folks from the Alaska shoot on, so be sure and join us then. And uh, we want to thank everybody uh, involved in the program, and we look forward to seeing you next Thursday.
divided. 